All right, Colossians chapter 3. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the him that created him. And where there is neither Greek nor Jew, uh, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and, ra- and the Father by Him. And uh, title for this will be Treasuring the Elect. And uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Only Father, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for thy word. And Lord, I pray that today as we come, I pray that we'd be a faithful people to listen and hear what the Spirit has. I pray you guide my words, direct my thoughts, give me wisdom, uh, calm my heart, help me to be able to give forth the word. We do pray for our pastor this morning. We miss him, but uh, Lord, thank you for the Spirit of God that continues to work uh, Lord, through your word. And we know that if we lift that up this morning, you'll be honored and glorified. Bless our time now as we meet together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Treasuring the elect. You know, we have a treasure. Uh, I don't know when you came in this morning, if I would have told you, hey, look, there's a treasure in the building. You have to find it. Uh, where would be some of the first places you'd look? Well, I think the creepy place up underneath the, um, the uh, building here, going out from the kitchen, would be my first spot. Um, you probably would just tear a hole right into the floor maybe and look around. What is there by way of treasure in this building? You know, I think about the, the treasure that's spoken of in God's Word. And Hebrews eleven twenty six says, that Moses, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You know, Moses recognized there was a treasure. It was not, a, it, it was not seen in that sense, but it, it was something that he, he did recognize. We know in Colossians 2.3, and we'll talk a little bit about this in a little bit, but in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, speaking of Christ from verse 2, and then, of course, we know in Matthew six nineteen through 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, 
and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And so as we think about that today, and we think about treasure and what we value, um, the Lord has given us in the book of Colossians uh, a challenge here. Um, in chapter 3, just so you know this morning, as we meet together, um, the, the book of Colossians was written to say, folks, it was written to the church, and he does say, if ye then be risen with Christ. I'll lead off with this, that if you're sitting in this building today, there, there is a, a likelihood that you're in one of two places. You're, uh, you could be after the if ye then or before it, and uh, it's just real simple. We're either saved or we're not. And today, I hope that as you, as you understand this from the passage we're talking about today, we're speaking to safe folks. We're speaking to uh, the church, his body. Um, but if you're sitting here today and you say, well, I'm a member, that, that's, not, that's not entirely what we're looking at here, right? So, you know, we're, we're also, when we, when we talk about someone that is before this and we think about the gospel and reaching the lost and things like that. There can be people who come to church here and are lost and do not know the Lord as Savior. And so we want to make sure that we understand that until that's settled, then you will not be able to find the treasure that I'm going to speak of today. Uh, There is a treasure in this building sitting in amongst us right now. It's right here for us to take. But if you're sitting here today and you do not know the Lord as Savior, you cannot find it. And you say, wait a minute, I thought, I could, can you not find salvation? That's not what we're talking about today. So I want to be very clear. In chapter 3, he's speaking to Christians, and there is a treasure for the believer. You know, just as he had mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 3 there, that there was a treasure that's hidden, so many times treasures can be hidden. Um, you know, it was funny, I had um, saw a story uh, where this, uh, let me go, let me go over to it, give you names so you know I'm legitimate. Um, and many of you may have heard this story before. Um, it says, uh, the Atlanta journal constitution, May 17th, 1987 edition had an article in there, uh, where it described, it said a rock hound, uh, named, uh, Rob Cutshaw owns a little roadside shop outside Andrews, North Carolina. Like many in the trade, he hunts for rocks, then sells them to collectors or jewelry makers. Uh, He knows enough about rocks to decide which to pick up and sell, but he's no expert. He leaves the appraising of his rocks to other people. And as much as he enjoys the work, it doesn't always pay the bills. He occasionally moonlights cutting wood to help put bread on the table. While on, the, while on a dig 20 years ago, Rob found a rock he described as purdy and big, and purdy is spelled P-U-R-D-Y. He tried unsuccessfully to sell the specimen, and according to the Constitution, kept the rock under his bed or, or in his closet. He guessed the blue chunk could bring as much as $500, but he would have taken less if something urgent came up, like paying his power bill. That's how close Rob came to hawking for a few hundred dollars what turned out to be the largest, most valuable sapphire ever found. The blue rock that Rob had abandoned to the darkness of a closet two decades ago, now known as the Star of David Sapphire, weighs nearly a pound and can easily sell for two and three quarter million. So, 
you think about that, something tossed up underneath the bed. So you go home today, see what you can find, right? But, you know, the man had, had, had missed it. Here, here's another one. This is one from uh, just this year. Uh, military hardware enthusiast Nick Mead purchased a Russian tank back in uh, 20, uh, 2022 to add to his impressive collection of 100 uh, military vehicles. While inspecting the tank with his mechanic friend, Todd Chamberlain, the UK-based collector, discovered 60 pounds of gold bars. Experts believe the bars to be, were stolen by Iraqi soldiers during the Gulf War, which took place from August 1990 to February 1991. The tank was purchased on eBay. And surprisingly, the seller had no idea the vehicle was housing $1.2 million worth of gold bars. According to Mead, he has been approached about the possibility of turning his real life into a treasure discovery into a film. And, um, you know, you think about that. Um, just amazing. Uh, of course, it's amazing they found a Tyreke tank that still was in one piece. But um, we look at these treasures people find. We always want to find a treasure uh, we always want to be a part of that. And the book of Colossians is talking, um, does emphasize this as we look in chapter 3. It's really treasuring this idea of the attitude of the new man. And it really picks up in these verses on, uh, in verse uh, 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. And as we think about uh, the book of Colossians, he spends some time addressing the church at Colossae. Um, he has not been to Colossae. He is in prison right now. And Epaphras has gone and delivered to him kind of the condition of the church and what's going on. He is encouraged by what he's hearing. And we know that um, Paul here has a heart for these, uh, for these works. And he's going to continue to write and encourage and do what he can from a jail cell. Because Paul had an interest in people. And, God, and, and the body of Christ, and he continued to invest. It's amazing how he kept his focus on the body of Christ, even in his darkest hours, and how much he appreciated others. When we think about the book of Colossians, and we see chapter 3 here, uh, there are some things that we want to point out. You know, that this, uh, this book here, of course, in verse 7, uh, chapter 1, if you'll just slide back there a little bit, we won't be going too far today. We'll stay around the book of Colossians mainly. But as we think about chapter 1 and verse 7, he talks about Epaphras here, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And he was also faithful to Paul and an encouragement to him. And um, as we think about, um, you know, Paul's sufferings and all the things that he's going through during this time, um, he's, he reminds them um, that, you know, he, he knows that why he's in, in, in jail. He knows what he's going through. He knows the suffering and things that uh, he is experiencing is because of the things that are done for Christ. And uh, he tells them, he says in verse 9 of chapter 1, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And, um, and skip down to verse 23. He says, If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached uh, to every creature which is under heaven, wherever I, Paul, am made a minister, who rejoice now in my what, church? Sufferings. Say it together. Sufferings for you, and fill up 
that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for, uh, for his body's sake, which is the what, church? Church. You know, I think about the fact that Paul identified so much with Christ. The reason why that he found pleasure in and or rejoicing, maybe pleasure is not the right word, but rejoicing in his sufferings for them was that in those sufferings, it really distilled down not what Paul wanted, but what did Christ want. I think about a Savior who hung on the cross and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think about how, how selfless our Lord was as he walked on this earth and showed the greatest example. That can only be lived through the selfless life of the believer and experienced by the believer here and recognized through the sufferings and the afflictions of Christ that we might bear. We do not go through that. Uh, often we are able to live a life of uh, pleasure and, and, and in the sense that we don't have near the experiences some of these early church uh, folks had. But I do recognize that there are sufferings and there are persecutions and things that go on today. And no doubt there are things that everyone in this church is going through. And, um, you know, as you think about this, Paul, though, had a burden for these folks. And he talks to them, and he's, he's, he's going to deal with some things that are going on there. He says in chapter 2 and verse 1, as we introduce this, he says, For I would that you know uh, what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for many as have not seen my face, in the flesh, and that idea of this this idea here of this conflict and what he's going through, and and um, you know he he's he's feeling this, and he says that as many has not seen my face in the flesh, and he knows what they're going through because of what Epaphras has told them. If you understand the city of Colossae, it still was uh, very it, 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 they the the Christians there were known to be attracted to a couple things. One was uh, syncretism, where you try to synchronize all of the um, you know, they would have like a, a God, you know, all the gods, and then they'd have Jesus as one of those. And then you'd have on the other side the Jews who were trying to get them to follow the Torah and the law. And, and you know, these, these were always competing uh, for their attention, and he knows that as he's addressing them here. And he tells them, he says in verse 11 of chapter 2, um, he says, "In whom ye also are, ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the bodies of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." And he also mentions in verse twelve, "They buried with him in baptism, and you're risen uh, with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead." He's telling them to find their identification in Christ. Not in these things where people are teaching, well, hey, listen, it's okay for you to worship Christ, but you've got to worship these, this polytheistic type, you know, uh, uh, pantheon of gods. Or, and then over here, he, he's telling them, as we're going to see here, uh, he's going to tell them to stay away from just following the law, which no man can do. And so in verse 16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, of the Sabbath days. And um, he tells them, he says, which are the shadow of things to come, but the bodies of Christ. He also says there in verse 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility 
and worshiping of angels. There was angel worship going on during this time. And you're going to see him reference principalities and powers in just a moment, but it's over this very thing that Christ is above those. And we think about this voluntary humility. What does that mean? Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes when things get tight and spiritually we feel like there's some needs in our life, isn't a temptation to develop the checklist of what you need to do to get out of that? It just happens, you know. I'm going to go outside, you know. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to get on my knees in the bushes, and I'm going to pray every day, and I'm going to have this huge prayer list. And Well, all those things are good, but it's not just a checkbox. You know, there are disciplines that you can introduce into your life, and it's humility. But those are not an end in themselves. I knew a guy at Bible college, he, he would go out, and, and I, I used that reference that he purposely prayed. You'd find him spreading blankets between the bushes around the dorms. And he, you'd walk to the commons, and he'd be back there behind the air conditioning unit where we would walk through, and he'd be bowing down and praying back there. Well, you know, I'm not going to judge his motives, but I can tell you this. I, didn't, I, I should not have to have an expectation for me to talk to the Lord that I got to go get a blanket and head out to the bushes. Maybe that was true for him. You know, maybe he felt better there. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting on your knees. I don't think there's anything wrong with the things that we do in our, in our daily disciplines. But I will tell you this, we need to be careful when we begin to create checklists and we've been to develop a program for how we have a relationship with God. Our, our relationship should be pray without ceasing. It should be a constant conversation with God, not fragmented points of time. And that is the challenge for us as we live in this world. But that's what they were facing, you know, that, you know, they're being taught, they're being beguiled. And this idea of voluntary humility seems like a, a virtue, but it's not. It's actually drawing them away. And he says there that in verse 20, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Verse 23, Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in what, church? Will worship. Will worship. What does that mean? So what they're doing is they're willing the fruits of the Spirit. And I can tell you this, as a believer, you, can, you cannot manifest the fruits of the Spirit all at one time by will and by the flesh. And you might be able to manifest one in, in, in expense of the other, but you cannot, you know, it cannot be done apart from the Spirit of God. Will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And it is neglecting to the body in that sense. And it's, it's, it, we began to create for ourselves this program. By the way, the unsaved do the same thing. Do you know there's tons today, there's plenty of people that are living by example this very thing. They go to church, they're unsaved, but they have created the program, right? I show up to church... I sit in church, I come back to church, oh, I sing the hymns, I'm on visitation, I do all the things, I've got, I'm part of the master clubs, I do the, you know, the, whatever the program is, I'm a part of it, 
I've created a program. And they're missing something so much more important. And so as we look at this, we're going to see here, there's some action verbs in chapter 3, which is in verse 1, seek. Verse 2, set. Verse 5, mortify. And in verse 8, put off. And verse 12, put on. And you'll see put on also in verse 10. You know, it's important to understand as he's speaking to these people that the people who've been trying to influence them and draw them into their way of serving God and having the, the, uh, the things right in their life and defining those things by what those people said, you know, it, it's causing them to be confused. And I'm so thankful for Paul as he writes here. You know, a lot of people say Paul was a hard man. I I, I disagree. Um, I think Paul was a fair man. Uh, I think there were times that Paul struggled uh, with people who <laughs> did not uh, do right and, and could not stay with it. He had a love for Christ, and he did, he did have some of those times, but for, he had a love for God's people. And as he writes to them, he doesn't lead off with the grand disappointment of maybe their confusion. He meets them where they're at. And so we're going to talk about that, really hone in and focus on chapter 3 today. As we've laid the groundwork, we understand kind of how we got here. We kind of understand what they're up against. And now we want to see what he tells them. He says, if ye then, right? So, you know, I talked about the unsaved have a program to accomplish what they want, to produce the spirituality they want. Well, the saved can do the same thing. And we want to be careful of those things. We want to seek, because those things that we set that are not of God, but they're of our will, our own, you know, our own will, our own self-will, our will worship, our own humility produced to honor us is things on the earth. And so he leads off in chapter 3, verse 1, seek those things which are above. You know, what are you looking for? What do you want Seeking those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. It is so easy for us to come here today and completely be blinded to the treasure God has provided because of what we're looking for and what we want. What things are we seeking out? And I think about how many times even innocent things rob God's people of the purpose and the will of God. You know, I gave a testimony that other night from, a, from Ephesians 1. We're talking about that Christ filleth all in all. And the idea that anything that falls short of that uh, will lead us into sin. And, you know, we can easily start seeking after the things that are here. And it can be just the praise of man and attending uh, at a place like Lighthouse Baptist Church. And you seem to look right. Things, you know, you want that. But... The question is, are we truly seeking out those things which are above? Are we valuing the eternal? And, you know, he mentions here that, you know, as we, as we look at this and we understand it, he says, you know, seek, but he also says in verse 2, to set your affection on things above. Not only what do you look for, what do you chase, but what do you love? What do you want for your life? And And I think about the fact that, no doubt people in Colossae here probably are doing uh, these things, but the challenge here is to understand that we're looking for what Christ has done, for what he loves and what he wants, 
And he says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know, as we come here and we can appreciate uh, the, the, you know, the things that we do here as a church, we also recognize that we need to appreciate what God is doing inside of our heart uh, with him and what we really love. Do we love him or do we love the program? And uh, verse 5, he says, he tells them there to mortify these things, right? And mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For these things, for these things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Who are the children of disobedience? That's the unsaved. Those are people who are living out that worldly lifestyle. And I believe that many of these people had come from backgrounds around the, the temple worship and things like that. Uh, where these things had, was a major outward part of their life. And they had to deal with that. And I think what he's pointing out is, hey, you have to be dead to those things. You shouldn't return to that. That would be an obvious missing the mark, right? I mean, if, if someone were doing that within our church and it was public, I mean, you wouldn't have to parse many verses to say, hey, brother, I think you're wrong, or hey, sister, I think you're wrong. I think it would be very clear. He points out the obvious to them, and he says, like, that's what unsaved people do, and certainly we should not live a life embracing those things. By the way, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Those say, if that's what's going on, and that struggle is going on in, in these in a habitual way, there's a point to question salvation. But when we get to, get to verse 8, and of course he tells them verse 7, in which you also walk some time when you lived in them, in verse 8, he says, but what, church? But now. But now. What does he mean by that? But now. He says, ye also do what? Put off these. Do you remember when Christ was talking about, you know, hey, you know, someone who hates their brother? What's that equal to? Murder. What about lusting after a woman? What is that? Adultery. You know, and he always tightened the standard, didn't he? He always told you what the standard was. It had more to do with sins of the heart than anything else. But now ye also put off all these. And now he's getting to give them a list that maybe they didn't think of too much. Maybe they weren't so cognizant of. But these are things that can rob us from our purpose and can rob uh, this church of what it needs to do. And listen to what it describes. It says anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. There's an assumption here by Paul that, hey, you've put off those things that I told you to mortify, but you know what else is going on in this church? There's some things going on. Hey, we got some people lying. We got some people who, in their heart, is harboring anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. He says, and, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ 
is all and where? In all. And these people were not only struggling with the polytheism of their day, remember the many gods, and then people trying to attract them with the Torah and things like that, but they're just like, they're having some problems here within the heart, and it's kind of like the Corinthians. There's some class of folks that are being distinguished here, and I'll give you a good example of it. There's a, in the scriptures, there is a place where uh, we can go to to see where some of that struggle was. Does anybody else know what particular man, what particular book kind of is spawned around this same, this letter is spawned around this same time? And dealing with a church member here at Colossae. Go to Philemon. He leads off, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, our dearly brother and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. And he, he goes in, his greetings and all of that, and he says, um, he, he's, he's getting through all the introduction there, and um, he says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because of, in verse 7, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be bold in Christ to enjoin thee in that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee for such a one as Paul the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in times past was to thee, what? Unprofitable, but now profitable for thee, and to me, I, whom I have sent again, therefore receive him that is in mine own bowels, whom I retain with me, that in my stead he might have ministered me into the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but of willingly. You know, Paul here is going to send Onesimus back for whatever, whatever the case, they come in contact with each other. And, of course, he learns of probably his where he originates here, and later on we'll see uh, Onesimus mentioned. But, you know, you think about the fact that uh, Onesimus, who was wrong, by the way, when we look at servants, it's not the same way you would look at, you know, the slavery. There was a, there was a, there, there was debt. By the way, if you're in financial debt, you are a servant, right, to those who lend money to you. For whatever case, he was a servant, and he had ran away. That's punishable, uh, you know, just like any other legal way to put him in jail uh, or worse. But he is, he could be dealt with. And, of course, he comes in contact with Paul, and he's going to be returned back as a profitable servant. And so there's going to be some hope when he returns him back that he's returning him back trusting that God's people will act the right way. And recognize, what does he call him? Profitable. What is the profit? You know, many of you work in business and you know, you've got to turn a profit. You've got to be able to appreciate the, 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 the means to do that and, and to produce that. And that's really where as we enter into today in verse 12, oh, in verse 11, just to mention that, you think about it, there's no Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbian, Scythian, bond nor free, okay, kind of similar to Onesimus' situation, you look at all in, in the same light. 
He says, put on there, verse 12, as the elect of God. What is that election to? It's, it's to... It's to be, it's the image of Christ, this holiness. It's, that's what that election is. By the way, you can elect people to a lot of things, but do they, you know, do they always live up to it? Given our current political situation, not so, right? Uh, great, you know, comes with great responsibility, which has been shirked by many, but even for the believer who's been elected to be what they should be, and you say, boy, what's going to follow here are things about their personal holiness. Put holy and beloved. That's what we're elected to. Now think about this. In verse 12, the elect of God here is a destiny to fulfill. This is what we're seeking to do. This is accomplishable in the sense through the Spirit of God only. And the fact that every one of these graces that we're getting ready to list, who are they between? Let's read them. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing what? One another and forgiving who? One another. If any man have a quarrel against any... Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We pivot in here to understanding that Paul's focus right now is personal relationships. He's talked about what they should mortify, what they should seek after, what they should set their mind on, what they should be doing. And he talks about there's in the class of people like Onesimus and different ones. Hey, we look at people all the same way. He's already talked about the, you know, hey, Christ is superior to the principalities and powers earlier in the early chapters. He's already dealt with the those admonishing the Torah and all of that. But he's getting to the point. And here's the point. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering in a sort. You know, I think about the fact that these things here, these Christian virtues that he lists, they, which govern human relationships, were so important. You think about the fact that you, the bowels of mercies, how deep, deep mercies. Mercies, you know, giving that which is undeserved. You know, and, and, and who are we talking about? We're talking about each other. You know, when we talk about what we treasure, Paul puts a high value on the body of Christ and what we do for each other. This isn't just those who haven't offended us. Bowels of mercies has to do with something lacking. And we come in and fill the gap. I think about the fact that, you know, he, he, he's, he's saying here, I think about the, the word kindness. This is the same word to say in Matthew eleven thirty, talking about his yoke is easy. There are people bearing burdens around us as God's people, and we need to find a way to make that yoke as easy as possible, to come alongside and to bolster and pull together. That's the spirit of Christ. 
when Christ rose from the dead, did he, did he run out of air immediately and start another ministry witnessing to the lost? No, he, he went to the upper room and he spent time with building up the saints. I, why, so they can go forth. I think we have that same responsibility. When we come together in here and we recognize things like bowels of mercy, kindness, I, you know, I, I think about the uh, you know, the whole idea here of humility. Uh, humility is ca- called the parent of both meekness and long suffering. Meekness shows how humility will affect my actions toward others. In other words, I will not dominate, manipulate, or coerce for my own ends, even if I have the power and ability. Long suffering shows how humility will affect my reaction towards others. I will not become impatient, short, or filled with resentment toward the weaknesses and sins of others. I use this example there, and I talk about driving and how you start to feel about people. Um, that's probably the safest illustration because you all share it. Isn't it amazing how good of a driver you are and how everybody out there is a nut? Come on. I can tell you this. In church, we can look around and see how spiritual we are and how unspiritual, unspiritual everybody else is. And if we've done that, we're already losing. We're not finding the treasure. Because the treasure is that person. You say, who? That person. You know exactly who you're focused on. Why are you focused on them? I hope it's for good. I hope it's not for the worse. What is it that can make us resentful, make us bitter, make us short? Now, I know y'all have never done this, but I can tell you this. When I get short, a little ill-tempered, it's amazing how long it can go before I recognize it. You know how I can tell? I start looking at the faces of others around me. And I realize I haven't helped them a bit. I've just made the injury worse. It's not something that I've ever looked at in this way before. But when I came to this passage, I began to think, what is it that we're coming to church and missing? That's really the question. Is it the fact that we were here? that we were on time, that we sang, that we taught, we preached. All of those are good in themselves. But where's the treasure? Where is that special thing? I believe it's found here in what Paul is trying to emphasize. Forbearing one another. You know, forgiving one another. I, you know, we must be generous with that. Somebody wrote these out. I thought they were good. Some might have a little tweaking. Listen to some of these statements. God holds back his anger for a very long time when we sin against him. He bears with us a long time, even when we sorely provoke him. Do we? God reaches out to bad people and to bring forgiveness to them, 
the habit of man is not to reconcile if the offending person is of bad character. God makes the first move towards us in forgiveness. The habit of man is only to be reconciled unless the party craves forgiveness and makes the first move. God forgives often knowing that he will sin again, sometimes in the exact same way. It is the habit of man to only forgive if the offending party solemnly promises to never do the wrong again. God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that he grants adoption to those former offenders. In the habit of man, even when forgiveness is offered, he will not lift again the former offender to the place of high status and partnership. God bore all the penalty for the wrong we did against him. In the habit of man, when he is wronged, he will not forgive unless the offender agrees to bear all the penalty for the wrong done. God keeps reaching out to man for reconciliation even when man refuses him again and again. In the habit of man, one will not continue to offer reconciliation if it is rejected once. God requires no probationary period to receive his forgiveness. In the habit of man, one will not restore an offender without a period of probation. God's forgiveness offers complete restoration and honor. In the habit of man, we feel we should be complimented when we merely tolerate those who sin against us. Once having forgiven, God puts his trust in us and invites us back to work with him as co-laborers. In the habit of man, one will not trust someone who has formerly wronged him. Spurgeon once said, Suppose that someone had grievously offended any of you and that he asked your forgiveness and you did not think that you would probably say to him, Well, yes, I forgive you, but I, I cannot forget it. Ah, dear friends, that is sort of forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It is lame and not worth much. You know, I think about this, and you can sum all of that up. And these are all, all of these are bred from verse 14. It is the cloak on which it covers all of these things. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You know, we look at this, and it's the love that we have for the body and the love for each other that allows us to manifest these through the Spirit of God. This is not natural to any, you know, anybody here on the planet other than those that are in the body of Christ should come forth from the Spirit of God. We also see here, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are called in one body and be you what? thankful where is the peace of god amongst god's people there can be there can be we can come to church and not be looking for the you know if, if we're forget about doing things that might encourage them from not a point of offense finding those that are at the point of offense those that are not where there is an issue, where there needs to be mercy, there needs to be forgiveness. Just think about how much more the standard is. And the peace of God says, you know, it must rule. It must rule. It's it's using the same type of idea of an umpire or a referee, which I like neither when I'm playing a sport. You know what keeps peace on a basketball court? Soccer game? Listen, if we didn't have referees, they kill each other. They still try. I, I've, I've been on a, I've seen a game get out of hand, and I'm telling the refs, you know, I'm coaching. I'm thinking, you better get control of this game. 
you better start throwing a flag somewhere. You better, you better blow your whistle. You know, for the believer, it's measuring against the standard of, will this, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, and where I'm getting ready to go in this conversation, is it all based and predicated on the fact that I'm seeking the peace of God? Will it rule, will it reign in my life? So many times we can be hurt and we can feel, we can feel, you know, we want to, you know, focus on us. But is that because we've had a lack of thanking God for what he's given us? Sometimes I look around and I go, well, I have my own needs. Now, if I'm a thankful person, I recognize that God's already provided those. I think everybody in this room can say, everything I need, God has provided. Now, whether or not I concentrate on that, focus on that, fixate on that, that's not God's fault. That's mine. How can I be peace to somebody else? How can I be, th- be thankful? We just, you know, talk about Thanksgiving. Be thankful. How can that occur? When we're seeking out the treasures of God and appreciating from where they are, they're sitting in the pew beside us. They're right here. And we can thank God for that. All of that's not guided by what we think. It's guided by what's in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. I don't have time to finish out a lot of this, but I will say this. When we look at this and we recognize that we are guided by the Word of Christ, we pray for it to dwell in us richly, as we go forth and admonishing one another that says, I love you, I appreciate you, and I want the best for you like God does. That is something that, that is all based, we all center that on the word of God. It's not natural, and we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's almost like, have you ever been upset and then somebody hands you a baby? You're like, oh, oh, hey, you know. My favorite's the phone call, right? You've heard people do that, you know. You're mad. All of a sudden the phone rings, hello. It's kind of hard. It's the same way with singing and and sharing in this way. In verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's hard to sing with grace in your heart to the Lord and be angry too. You know, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What follows after this is to recognize that it's not the position that we're given or some, you know, some great honor. You know, everything that he addresses after this, he talks about wives, husbands, children, and slaves. Okay? Guess what? They all find equal footing if this is being employed. You see, during their time, the man would just kind of put his foot on the family. He's the patriarch. Is do it because I said so. 
No, he's going to emphasize love. Now, you love them. That's why you're doing it. You're not lording over them. Hey, wives, you're not doing it because you're, serve, you're having to serve your husband. You know, you're willingly submitting. Hey, children, you're just not an object to go out and work for the family. We're not going to provoke you to anger. You're going to honor and respect because you want to. Hey, slaves, you're still going to serve your masters, and you can be a Christian and serve your masters. But church, we're all on equal footing, and we need to appreciate that. Hey, Onesimus, guess what, Onesimus? You can go back with confidence, and you can recognize, Onesimus, that when you go back there, that you don't have to worry about that. You, you, can, you can count on these things. Go, back, go to chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent for the same purpose, that he might know your state and comfort your hearts with who? Guess what letter is in his hand with the Colossian letter? The book of Philemon. Philemon? Onesimus is on equal footing as a brother. He's saved. And what did, what did he say he was to him? Profitable. Church, I don't know where you're at. I can only deal with me. But I want to tell you something. I love you, and I thank God for you. I don't share this today because I don't feel it. I share it because I want it continued. I feel this at Lighthouse Baptist Church. A lot of people come to Lighthouse Baptist Church not know. By the way, people who don't even agree with where we are on standards and other things. But there's just something different. And this is it. And church, if we, if we want to continue, we must continue in the bowels of mercy, forbearing, forgiving, loving, and bringing the peace of God. But it's all hid in who? In Christ. And he must be preeminent in our life. You know, people say Paul was a hard man. He sure did speak as delicate as he could so that they could not they didn't have to work and strive they could find the treasure because of what God has already elected them to be the standard is not beyond you or I or the church at Colossae it can be achieved and we must continue to maintain it I thank God that we have such a strong church and I thank God that this church is the body of Christ. I truly believe that. May we continue to be that in the coming days. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you for this time as we gather together. And Lord, I pray that you just honor your word now as we go into the invitation time. We pray that you would take these things and uh, Lord, just impress upon the heart as you see fit. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.